Christmas season is ending, and I don't know about you, but I had an amazing season of celebrating the birth of Jesus, but I also felt spread thin. New Year's is upon us, and I have goals and aspirations that are coming, and I don't even know if I have what it takes. But here's what I love about Jesus. He promises a life that is full of hope, that is full of truth, that is full of power. And what would it look like if we experienced the fullness of Jesus in our lives? And it starts with being connected with Jesus. It starts with having that initial relationship built. But here's the great thing. Not only does he promise to be connected with us, but he promises to send his Holy Spirit to be with us. In John, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. This stream of living water, this Holy Spirit that he promises, offers us a different way of living. But so often, we have this new connection with Jesus, and we have this reality of the Holy Spirit within us, but the results aren't what we thought they might be. So often, we are met with challenges. How we use our time, what, what's going on with our money, our relationships with each other, and even caring for our own souls. And what we don't realize is those very things often keep the Holy Spirit from flowing freely through our lives. What would it look like to unkink these areas, to read in Scripture the promises and the ways of Jesus and figure out what it looks like to experience the fullness of life? There's a prophet named Jeremiah. He says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Through this series, we're going to discover what it looks like to be connected with Jesus, to have his Holy Spirit flowing through us, but to also see the results that we hope for. These ways of a simpler life that leads to the fullness that Jesus promised. Good morning, Calvary Church. Y'all came back. Thank you. <laughs> We're never sure, you know. We'll see one day. Nobody will. Anyway. Hey, good morning. My name is Matt. Um, I get to work with our marriages and families. And I want to invite you just, just for a second, just... Deep breath, ready? If your December was anything like my December, you didn't get to do that much. It may have been more of a panting. It may have been pretty busy. There is something that, that Pastor Tim is talking about in that video that we kind of yearn for and long for. We want that sense of the Spirit of God to be like flowing out of us and that life that Jesus has promised us to be coming out. But there's a lot of times that we look at our lives spiritually and it looks like just a trickle. Uh, now I have to admit as a parent, sometimes it's fun just to watch my kids experience new things. And sometimes if they don't do it naturally, I have to help them with that. I remember a certain summer with one of my kids, they love playing with a hose, right? And they're, they're going around and they're spraying everything themselves. I have one that's just, you know, the hose just in his mouth constantly and, and that's okay. And, and so we, we do this and, and as he's going, he's, he's having fun and I just kind of grab the hose and behind my back, I just kind of crunch it. I put a kink in it on purpose and he looks around, what's going on? And they're like 
three, four years old at this point. And uh, he starts looking at, at the nozzle. Daddy, it's not working. I said, maybe you got a blow in it or something. I don't know. What, look, is there something stuck in there? And he kind of puts his eye up there. And I, as a wonderful father, just kind of let it go. And he just gets hit right there in the face. And that is why I am the family pastor here at Calvary Church. <laughs> Different kind of family pastor. Now, we're going to talk about this, this idea of, of simplify. The opposite of simplify is not complexity. It's chaos. And I think that we have worked ourselves into a rhythm of chaos. It's it's as if you might be on the treadmill and I can kind of handle three miles an hour, but somehow I push the wrong button and I'm at 10 miles an hour and it's chaos. And for some of us, we need to stop and we need to slow down. Um, and then some of us, we actually like kind of need to work too, right? Like it's not just Sabbath, but I think that we have the work thing down pretty well. And so over the course of this month, we want to, in a sense, unkink some of these areas where we have been tied up and twisted and locked up. And, and there's some places where God wants to speak freedom into our lives where we don't have freedom. And in a sense, kind of open things up so that his spirit would freely flow through us in our lives. And so we have a booklet and this becomes a journal. We want this to be something that you are walking with this month, that this becomes yours. On the first page, put your name and your phone number in it. We want you to take notes. We want this to be useful for you. And so we've put some things in there that we hope will be great. And then you bring it back. And if you forget, then just grab another one and that's okay. We're not legalists here. So we want to talk through this, but I want you to just hear this morning, um, we're, we're going to talk through this, this idea of simplify, but specifically what I'm here today to do is to talk about simplify and the Sabbath. Now, the word Sabbath might feel foreign. I, I imagine in this room that we, we've heard of this concept of Sabbath, but we may have written it off as this Jewish thing that, you know, happens on Friday nights and we are not Jewish, most of us here, so we don't observe this. And so I want us to have a little bit of depth this morning where there is something that we could participate in. Why did God set this up in the very beginning and what is his expectation for us? But we have trouble taking that piece of our lives and setting ourselves up to really just rest and breathe. But here's a question that I would like you to discuss for a second. Yes, we're going to do that thing where we turn to one another and we talk for a couple minutes. For some of you extroverts, you're all, I've already said hi to everybody. I love this. This is great. And some of you introverts say, I didn't know they tricked me and now I'm stuck here. But this is the question I'd like you to sit with. And just, just for a couple minutes, when you finally get free time, and for some of you, that might have been over the last couple of weeks. But you can even think through your year normally. When you finally get that free time, what do you do with it? What does your day off look like? All right? Discuss. Go. Merrily? 
times two. <laughs> All right. That's enough. That's enough. I know. I, I started. Now I can't shut you up. Hey, uh, somebody join me. This is my wife, Marilee. Say hi, Marilee. I know some of you are thinking, how did he get... When we got in the limo after we got married, I said, it's too late now, sucker. All right, here we go. Um, I'm Jewish. So something I've done my entire life is celebrate Shabbat. Um, Very faithfully, this next step of what we're about to do is what we have done, what I have done uh, every Friday night with my family for as long as I can remember. And so there's three pieces to this every Friday night and we get together. And so I've asked Marilee, the woman would typically light the candles. And so she's going to do this and she's going to say the traditional Sabbath prayer. So here we go. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech ha'alam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotah v'tzivanu lehadlik nershel Shabbat. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us by his commandments and commanded us to light the Sabbath lights. Thank you. She did good, huh? Pretty awesome. So we light the candles. And... Uh, You should see the Davis children. They all know it. It's fantastic. And then we take the bread. This is challah. If you haven't had challah, go to Cream Pan and get one. It's fantastic because Marilee can't make one for all of you. But then we we take the bread and we break it. And then we say, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech alam hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. These blessings have been traditional even from before the time of Jesus. So when Jesus took the bread and he blessed it at that last supper, it was even prophetic, the, the bread that would rise again from the earth. And so we take that and we, and we pass it around and we, we break bread together and it's, it's community bread. And so everybody touches it. Dave, you would hate that part because there's lots of germs that go around, but it's family. And then we take uh, what we call the Kiddush cup. Kiddush means sanctification, to be set apart, to be set aside. And uh, we have Manischewitz, which is uh, sweet wine. I've been taking that since I was a little, little kid. And we, we take a little bit of this and we, we say, Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melcha alam puri hagafen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, creator, the creator of the fruit of the vine. And so these are the elements. Now... When we started thinking about and brainstorming through this series, we thought, okay, let's talk about Sabbath. And then we thought, well, Matt, of course, is the perfect person to be talking about this. He's the Jew on staff. (laughs) And I started to think, yes, I'm the perfect person. And then I started to think, well, you know what? Out of a lot of the people that we have on staff, I might be one of the busier people. I am type A. And if you send me an email, I'm going to respond right away. If you text me, I'm going to respond. And I'm, I just get it done. And I'm busy. And I, I tend towards being a workaholic. I, that's just how I run. It's just how I operate. I can't help myself with that. And I, this is, then I started to think, I'm not the perfect person to be talking about this. And then I thought, well, you know, if I can work through this, then I might be the perfect person to talk through this. Some of you 
are just like me, that you have trouble stopping. There is this drudgery. There is this slavery that we, like the Greek mythology, there's this character, Sisyphus, who was condemned to pushing this boulder up the mountain, right? And it keeps slipping and he has to start over. There's just this drudgery that sets in in our lives and we become enslaved with that. And there's this dichotomy of work and rest and work becomes our God and God is not our God and the sacrifices that we lay down for this God of work become our family. We sacrifice our family because we are so busy in the work, our health. And so we lay these things down and we say, you know what, this is the God I'm going to worship. And I want us to have this picture of a God who is beckoning us and is wooing us and is inviting us to breathe, to rest. And I think a lot of times we have this picture of a God who is this cranky schoolmaster who is always forbidding and he is coercing obedience and he is watching his sniveling subjects slinking across in their slavery. And I want us to understand that we have a God who has set things up for us in such a way that we might experience simplicity, freedom, rest. We don't do this very well. So I'd like you to grab your booklets. And we are on page number two. And I'm looking at the same thing you are. And I just want to walk through. I love context. I love to kind of get this picture of of what is God up to throughout Scripture um, from the Old Testament to New Testament to today. And how does this practice just get lived out for us? And as we think about our our pace and our busyness, there's almost this safety. If you think about rocks, if you take some, if you've ever skipped rocks and you go to a lake, you have to throw it pretty quick, right? You got to throw it fast so it just skips and you have to throw it at a certain angle. And if you do that right, then it's barely touching the water and it's just flying by until it kind of hits the end and then it sinks in there. But if you don't throw it fast enough, the rock just kind of hits the water and and sinks. And so we, while our speed may keep us safe, it keeps us also malnourished. And so I I want us to be able to, some of us, we're we're actually just kind of scared to stop because if we stop, then we might have to deal with ourselves. We might have to resolve some of our feelings about certain things. We might have to get closure in certain areas of our life. And so an important question just in the back of our heads, if you are one of those people that has trouble just pausing and stopping, is why? Why? What is it about my pace that I just continue to keep going and going? Some of you retired a long time ago and really never retired You never really stopped. And so let's look at the context of what God is up to in his design for the simplicity of of Sabbath. Now, I thought maybe one of the greatest things I could do for simplicity in this Simplify series is I'm just going to use one slide, one PowerPoint slide, and we'll keep it there the entire time. And that's kind of what it ended up looking like. So we're going to just use about 10 or so. So... Um, here's what we're going to walk through. God's design for the simplicity of Sabbath. I want to talk about God in the garden. 
What was God up to with his Sabbath? And then the Israelites and the Sabbath. When we talk about the wilderness, that is the location that that Sabbath is instituted and talked about. And then what does Jesus have to say about it? And, and what is his conversation like with those around him in the temple? And then finally bringing it to us and our Sabbath in what I would call the jungle. So if we look at God in the Sabbath, we look at the garden and God establishes this, this time of rest. And in Genesis chapter 3, or 2, I think it's 2. It should be 2, verses 2 and 3. Um, it says this, By the seventh day God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. God takes a Sabbath. The fun trick question in children's ministries, how long did it take for God to create the world? They're all seven days. No, it's six days. On the seventh day he, and then they all say, rested, right? Now there's something interesting. It says, by the seventh day, or some of your translations, on the seventh day, God completed his work. He completed his work on the seventh day. To me, that says that there was something going on on the seventh day. If you look at Exodus 31, verse 17, it says, In six days God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested. And then it says, and he was refreshed. That word refreshed, he exhaled. He kind of, but if God created the heavens and the earth in six days, on the seventh he rested. But here in Genesis chapter 2, it says that it was on the seventh day that he completed his work. It tells me that there was something that happened. Now, Jewish scholars and theologians have talked about this question at nauseum. And the idea is, well, God created something on this seventh day. And what he created is this concept known in Judaism as menuha. It means the Sabbath. It's this rest that God poured something into creation and he developed this rest. In Hebrew, it means rest or delight, tranquility, the good life. This is what God has designed for us. It's not a withdrawing from, but it is an adding to. He gave this to us. And so God pours out and God rests, but he doesn't command anybody else at this point in history to remember or to observe the Sabbath day. He takes this rest for himself. And on this, in this rest, he, he rested on the seventh day, he blessed it, and then it says that he sanctified it, he made it holy. This is the first thing that is made holy in the scriptures. So God finishes his work, and then 2,500 years roughly pass, and then we get into the Israelites and the Sabbath, and the context is the wilderness. They've come out of Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, and now they're in the wilderness, and God is saying something. I just want to show you a couple of things. In Exodus chapter 16, we get the first kind of command that God says, I want you to pay attention in the beginning of, of chapter 16, he says that he's going to provide manna 
This is what we do when we remember the bread. But in verse 27 of chapter 16 in Exodus, it says, It came about on the seventh day that some of the people, they went out to gather, but they found no manna. Why? Because God said, I'm not going to provide any. What you should do is on the sixth day, take in a double portion and I will give you a double portion. But some, even on this first Sabbath, were having trouble even to obey that. And they go out, they don't find anything. And then the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days. And on the sixth day, remain every man in this place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day, so the people rested on the seventh day. So we have the Israelites right there in the wilderness. And then four chapters later, if you want to look in Exodus 20, God gives the people of Israel the ten suggestions. And this is the place where he's listing, you shall have no other gods before me. Don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. Out of all of these suggestions, and I say that tongue-in-cheek, he spends the most amount of time in verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. He's telling them, and this is the reason why on Shabbat, in every Jewish household, we have two loaves of challah. It's to remind us of God's provision. There is a trust that takes place in the Sabbath. God, I'm going to trust that if I take what I need here on Friday, that will also last on Saturday, that you will sustain that there will be something again on Sunday. And so there's this act of, of trusting God in all of this. And it's also this beautiful picture because the Israelites, they're coming out of slavery in Egypt. And I am sure that when they were in Egypt, they didn't get a Sabbath. Sabbath wasn't even talked about. Abraham did not take part in the Sabbath. But God is saying to his people, look, you have been slaves. And you have known a life only of work. So seven days a week, you're going to be working and working. But now that I am your God and you are my people, I want you to have a day of rest. And in this day of rest, they would be reminded that God was the creator. But not only was he the creator, but that, that perfection in Eden was taken away. And so it's a time of reflection for the Israelites, of creation lost, but God wants to give us a piece of that and have us long for all to be made whole again, for that shalom to enter in. When we say greetings to one another on the Sabbath, we say Shabbat, which is Sabbath, Shabbat Shalom. May you have a peaceful Sabbath. And that is the greeting. That is how we address one another. But God says, no longer will you be slaves, but you will take a day of rest and you will remember me and you will be with me. And so God provides for them. And we have this passage in Deuteronomy 5, and it says this. 
Um, it's interesting because in Exodus 20, it says to remember the Sabbath. And in Deuteronomy 5, it says to observe the Sabbath. In Exodus 20, it's referring back to Exodus 16. But here in Deuteronomy 5, it says, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. And in it you shall do, no, do not do any work. You and your son or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you, so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. What's interesting and what kind of opened up my eyes a few years ago is that the Sabbath rest is not just for us, but it's for everybody surrounding us. I could probably just go seven days a week without stop for a pretty good chunk of time, maybe even years. But there's something here that there's a selfishness that sets in for me if I continue to work and the people around me just kind of get exhausted while I run circles around them. I remember uh, for a good chunk of my time early on here at Calvary, not only was I here in full-time ministry on Sundays, but part of our mission and our heart is to reach the lost people of Israel. So we were, we were working on the Sabbath as well, serving in a Messianic congregation. And so we were going on Saturday and Sunday and then also working throughout the week. But I said, oh, I have my Sabbath on Monday. When we had kids, all of a sudden things started to change. And I will never forget the time where my oldest, Noah, is getting dressed. He's going to school now, like as a kindergartner, five days a week. And we're getting dressed and up early on Monday morning. And, and I realize that my pace is now affecting those around me. And he says, Daddy, when do I get a day off? My poor kid was going to school five days a week and then we were going to services on Saturday and then we were going to services on Sunday and we realized, shoot, something needs to change. We need Sabbath. And so we have to realize that this is something that we need to build into our lives. And then we move over to Jesus and we fast forward and Jesus comes and he kind of sets everything, turns everything upside down, turns everything over in the temple. And so we have this picture of, of what is Jesus doing? What does Jesus do with the Sabbath? And the answer is whatever he wants. Over and over again, the Pharisees in their legalism are saying, wait, you can't do that on the Sabbath. You can't do this on the Sabbath. But Jesus never broke any of the laws in the Torah. The laws that were being broken were the rabbinical laws. It never talked about in the Torah that you could not heal on the Sabbath because who else was around to be healing at that point? And so Jesus is constantly pushing up against the system. And you can go through the Gospels and look at Matthew 12. You can see that it, it specifically says, and it was the Sabbath. And then Jesus did this. Jesus did away with the entire sacrificial system. He was also doing away with this because he's paradigm. There's a paradigm shift that's taking place. And he's saying, look, this is not about you keeping the rules. And there's this dreariness and legalism in all of this. In fact, Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He says, I am the rule maker here. And I'm telling you that your rest is in me. Now, I come from a tradition, the Jewish tradition, where there is a lot 
of legalism in the Sabbath. If you go to Israel, you will go and if you get, if you're in a hotel on Friday night and you make the mistake of getting on the Shabbat elevators, because we cannot push a button on the elevator because that would be considered work. And not to mention all of the rules that have to take place now because of all the technology. This is constantly what Judaism is doing is what are the rules? How do we keep the Sabbath? What are we doing? You get on the Sabbath elevator so you don't have to press a button. It stops at every single floor. And so I've stayed in the 19th floor at a hotel and gotten in the elevator and it just takes you forever, right? I go down the elevator, go down for dinner and I get there at breakfast and it's great. But there's a lot of legalism. I will see people, especially in Irvine, in the Jewish community, we can't drive on the Sabbath. We have to walk. Well, not everybody lives within a mile of the congregation. And so they will drive, you know, 25 miles to the, all, a mile short of the destination. They will park their cars, they get out of the cars, and they will walk the rest of the way. Why? Because it's impossible to keep all of the laws and the legalism. Here's a great quote from a rabbi. It says, lots of people will swear allegiance to the Sabbath and criticize those who do not keep all of the Sabbath laws. But their inner experience is not one of spaciousness. It is too easy to talk of prohibition, but the point is space and time created to say yes to sacred spirituality, sensuality, sexuality, prayer, rest, song, and delight. It is not about legalism and legislation, but about joy and the things that grow only in time. We need to remove the grimness from it. It begins, he says, by saying, and I love this, today I am going to pamper my soul. How many of you feel the freedom to actually stop and pause and take care of your soul? Because over the years, over the centuries, unfortunately, the Sabbath and setting time aside for the Lord became monotony. It became rules and regulations and that is not why God set it up in the beginning in fact the purpose is freedom but we over and over again we just kind of get complicated and our schedules become chaos and we can't get off of this treadmill and so we we struggle with this saying no to some things gives us deep permission for others for other things to take place, for us to rest, for us to pray, for us to spend time with our kids, to sing and rest. And I want you to know that in the process of doing this and looking at this, this topic of the Sabbath, um, I realized that my Sabbath has, has really been centered around these three elements. And so we do this every Friday night as a family, as a larger family. But I, I'm telling you that even though I've been a faithful observer of this my entire life, one thing that just kind of hit me as I've been studying is that I'm missing the point. That even though I can check this off of my list, I don't rest very well. I don't pause and take walks. And so there's a lot of practices and there's a lot of things that we should look at. And so when we look at what is it for us, what is it that we do, I believe that we have a chance to get this. Now, we don't celebrate the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath out of rule following. 
you don't have to do this. The Jewish people don't have to do this. Why do I do this? I do this to identify with my people, but I also need to do this to free up my soul. Abraham Joshua Heschel is a rabbi from last century, and uh, I put some of the reading resources in your outline. But he says this, To the biblical mind, however, labor is the means toward an end, and the Sabbath as a day of rest, as a day of abstaining from toil, is not for the purpose of recovering one's lost strength and becoming fit for the forthcoming labor. The Sabbath is a day for the sake of life. Man is not a beast of burden, and the Sabbath is not for the purpose of enhancing the efficiency of his work. We are called to rest because it's simply time to rest. And some of us, we need to sit down with our schedules and figure this out. Your rest is not lining up four football games on a Saturday and saying, ah, Sabbath. I mean, we work five days. Maybe Saturday is like I'm working Monday through Friday. I'm working for the man, right, getting the paycheck. Saturday is I'm working for my family. Sunday, it feels like I'm working for God. And as long as you can kind of check in for your couple hours here, I did Sabbath. And I'm going to go home this afternoon and more football or I've got to get more stuff done. Sabbath is set up for us to enjoy God, to delight. We say to delight in the Sabbath. And when Jesus came, he says, look, I want to be your Sabbath. In Hebrews 4, it says, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Jesus is saying, I want to be your rest. That's what I want. I want you to rest in me. I want you to trust me for your salvation. I want you to pause and I want you to look because we have this theology of progress where we have to get it done and keep going and the wheels just keep going and going. But that Hebrew word menuha that I told you, it's the same word that Job is longing for after, after all of this passes. He wants to sit by the quiet waters after all of the chaos, all of the stuff that happened in his life. After he experiences all that, it says he longs for the waters of tranquility. And it's funny, even Psalm 23, where we say, he leads me beside green pastures. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. It's that same word. But it's amazing to me that when we think about those terms, that we oftentimes read those at funerals, right? I, I grew up with this concept, this idea of, I have so much to do and to get done before I die. At this point, it will never happen. And so we are waiting for our rest to come when I die. And God is trying to tell us, no, I want you to rest now. I want you to rest in me. And that invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That is the invitation. So what does this mean for us? I want to show you a video clip and then we're going to spend some time actually applying and thinking this through for our own lives. Check this out. Sabbath is not dependent upon our readiness to stop. We do not stop when we are finished. We do not stop when we complete our phone calls, 
finish our projects, get through the stack of messages, or get out this report that is due tomorrow. We stop because it is time to stop. Sabbath requires surrender. If we only stop when we are finished with all our work, we will never stop because our work is never completely done. With every accomplishment, there arises a new responsibility. Every floor swept invites another sweeping. Every child bathed invites another bathing. When all life moves in such cycles, what is ever finished? The sun goes round, the moon goes round, the tides and seasons go round, people are born and die, and when are we finished? If we refuse to rest until we are finished, we will never rest until we die. Sabbath dissolves the artificial urgency of our days because it liberates us from the need to be finished. That is my favorite quote on the Sabbath. Um, so much so we put it in your journal. It's on page three. It's the Sabbath reflection. It's taken from this book by Wayne Mueller. Again, that's listed in your journals as well. Um, but what I, I would like for you to do is to turn to page four and to personalize this. What does pause look like for you? Rick Warren, he said... One practice that he has learned to do in his life that I think is phenomenal is he says that I try to divert daily. I just try to get some time. I'm just constantly, I'm going to grab 10 minutes here. I'm going to grab 15 minutes there. And I'm going to divert, withdraw weekly and abandon annually to get away for a couple of days and to Sabbath and to rest and to be with God. I want us to just take a few minutes and to journal, to use some of this space. Where can you find some of this time? How can you make this Sabbath part of your routine? That you can pause and you can take a deep breath and you can enjoy God and his creation. That you can remember what he was purposing for us in the beginning. And where we have fallen short and that restoration, that shalom that is to come. So we're going to take a few minutes, and uh, after that, we will take communion together as a body. Um, but would you just stop right now where you're at, and I'm going to pray as we go in, and uh, let's just take a few minutes to journal. So God, thank you for this picture of what you have given to us, that you are a God that cares. You are a wise teacher, and you built us. You know that we need this. Some of us are limping into 2016, and we are in desperate need of air. And so, God, meet us right now in this place. Help us to find that time that we need to be able to devote and give ourselves fully to you. Help us to simplify. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a couple minutes and just write some thoughts down.